welcome to the Outer Circle Inner Stillness, reflections and conversations exploring recovery work in spiritual disciplines and where they come together. The Outer Circle comes from a recovery exercise called the Three Circles. The Middle Circle contains the bottom line behaviors, those destructive patterns you are working to avoid. The Second Circle contains those behaviors, patterns, places, and relationships that, while not inherently bad, for you are an integral part of the spiral towards the Middle Circle. The outer circle contains the vision of your best and fullest self that you are seeking to live. Turning towards this full self is turning away from your middle circle. The outer circle explores daily practices that promote sobriety, presence, balance, connection, thriving, purpose, healing, and resilience. Inner stillness is a concept from Orthodox Christian spiritual thought that refers to the deepest part of a person's soul, the place where God lives and speaks. In pursuing the outer circle and the inner stillness, I believe we can find all that we need. Welcome back to the outer circle and the inner stillness. More conversations and reflections on the inner life, on the spiritual life, on recovery work and sobriety work and how these disciplines intersect in many cool and interesting ways. I'm Reese Basimio, a CSAT counselor, certified sex addiction therapist, also licensed professional counselor, drug addiction counselor, and a student now of the internal family systems model. Quite excited about that. And or Eastern Orthodox Christian, uh, also in recovery myself. Said another way, seeking my own sobriety, seeking my own inner stillness and... Uh, every, everything I talk about here, I'm also endeavoring to learn for myself. So I'm in no means a master at any of this, but a fellow learner, pilgrimer, journeyer, fellow pilgrim on the journey. Yes, that's me. Anyway, uh, welcome back. So um, this uh, this conversation is meant to accompany a conversation I just had with a uh, colleague and friend and uh, fellow podcaster, Drew Boa. You can find him at uh, drewboa.com. You can look up his podcast, Husband Material. And he and I had this really great conversation around sexualization and what happens when we sexualize another person. Why does it matter? What do we do about that? And you really should check it out. He brings some really wonderful transformative ideas around uh, approaching these mental challenges with compassion rather than self-punishment. And so it's really, really important, I think, to, to pay attention to what he's, he's offering us. So this conversation is um, building off of that conversation and talking more about this idea of sexualization from an orthodox perspective. In my conversation with Drew, I was able to uh, make some brief references to the contrast between pornography and iconography, but I want to say a little bit more about it here and uh, definitely want to give credit where credit is due. A lot of my thoughts here are informed by the Finding the Freedom to Live in Christ curriculum developed by Andrew Williams, who is another uh, Orthodox brother, and you can find his work at ftfdl.org, and there's also a podcast by the same name, uh, really, really powerful material. And so, so some of this is um, rehashing some themes that, that he talks about, and some of this is uh, me, an Orthodox person in recovery, and also a counselor working to kind of understand what he said and also apply that to, to my own work here. So that said, let's get into it. So talking about 
why does um, why is sexualization well what 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 do I mean by that? Uh, so what we mean by that? So specifically in the context of uh, working toward recovery sobriety from uh, sexual compulsivity, what's you know conventionally sometimes called sex addiction uh, or uh, pornography addiction specifically. Um, and yes, I know there's some you know controversy debate about the those terms and whether or not they're the best terms for it. That's fine. For now, we'll just let them stand as a placeholder, and I'm open to any critique you might care to bring about that. Um, but so specifically with with this idea of, of, of porn addiction and recovering from that, or for those uh, those who who wish to stop looking at porn, many many folks like that also get a sense for uh, it's not just looking at the images on a screen or on, in a book, but it's also the way that we look at real people. Uh, we will tend to find ourselves sexualizing, or we could say objectifying real life people wherever we encounter them. And there's many places to encounter uh, beautiful people. So why is this a thing we should be thinking about? Uh, you know, there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of science that supports how by continuing to engage the mind and engage the brain in the sexualization patterns, you're actually still acting out in that you are still activating the same circuits of the brain that would be activated anyway. Um, there's still the chemicals and the hormones that are released. Maybe your genitals don't get involved in the same way, and maybe you're not committing an in-the-body infidelity in the same way. Um, but in your heart, in your intent, and in your within your inner system, there's, there's still that intention toward sexualizing or having a sexual experience or having sexual pleasure through another person often without their consent or without fully knowing them and and that just doesn't create a, a that, that doesn't create an intimate and connective well-balanced sexual pattern um, fantasy doesn't tend to promote connectivity uh, it doesn't promote presence it doesn't really promote like a self-understanding or emotional resilience or and it doesn't promote getting to know your own feelings in any healthy way, you know, lapsing into fantasy. It doesn't promote you addressing like your core needs or your core desires in like a meaningful or sustainable or healing way. It's um, it's just this temporary uh, this temporary measure. And so for 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 that those reasons and other reasons, we'd say it's really important to to really pay attention to these internal patterns of sexualizing, objectifying others. Uh, when we talk about the the shift from like a first order change, that's lingo for behavior change. Uh, you know, that's the level of just stop looking at porn, stop drinking, stop smoking, whatever it is. Um, we'll talk about the necessity to move into what we call second order change. And again, that's the the attitude shifts, the mentalities, the attitude, uh, the way of thinking. I would I would say a way of life. And what we're talking about in all of this. In, in looking at something as deeply internal as whether or not I sexualize another human being, uh, what that's really getting at is stepping into a whole different frame of reference, whole different way of life from what tends to support the, the acting out cycle. And we do this again because the, the inner life is the source of motivation and purpose. Our inner life is shaped by our experiences, including our traumas. So when I sexualize, when I fantasize, 
you know, that's, that's not a neutral activity and it's often very much connected to past traumas. So not even like a, not even, not, not even always coming from a place of health or connection anyway. Uh, some, somewhere we could insert the, the debate on what's the difference between fantasy and imagination. I'm not going to touch on that one just here, although that is a, a valid point and a valid exploration to make. Um, and I would say too, to, to, to not look at this issue to ignore the inner life is to ignore the root of our issue. You know, one does not act out, one does not addict, one does not sexualize others in a vacuum. We do that in response to something. Maybe it's something current, maybe it's something past. But if we ignore whatever that past thing is and still expect to make changes in our current day behavior, ultimately we're going to fail because kind of all of it needs to change together. So what is the deal here with this idea of pornography and iconography? So within the Orthodox practice, we a major part of our tradition and our practice and our worship uh, is the, the veneration of icons. Um, you know, including icons of the Lord Jesus and the Most Holy Theotokos, um, the angels, the saints, um, and even some icons of major events in in church history, um, such as you know, Holy Theophany, the Baptism of Christ, Holy Nativity, the Birth of Christ, you know, the Resurrection of of Christ, um, and some events that um, happen after after the the canon of Scripture, um, the the Finding of the Cross by Saints Constantine and Helen. Um, and and other things like that. Um, the our our icons are a very important part of our practice. And in the veneration of an icon, it's not it's not worship. And it's not uh, it's not worshiping the saint or praying to the saint as much as you know, seeing and acknowledging here is this person in the fullness of who they are. So for me, if I approach an icon of St. Moses the Black or you know, St. Moses the Ethiopian, uh, who's my patron saint, um, I'm not just seeing wooden paint on, on the wall or I'm not just seeing a printed image, uh, nor am I just seeing a, a dark-skinned saint. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a story. I'm seeing you know, Abba Moses who you know, started out as this thief, this murderer, this leader of 70 thieves who found Christ, found salvation, embraced his own walk of holiness and struggled against his passions and, uh, you know, transformed his life to where then he had this band of 70 other monks and led them in the way of holiness. And so to, to contemplate his icon is to contemplate his story, is to contemplate the work of the Lord in his life, the grace of God that worked wonders in him, and to give honor, uh, give honor to the Lord, you know, through through the lenses, through the veils of Saint Moses himself, through the lens of the image of Saint Moses, through the the materials of wood and paint, and that's part of what happens with with this act of veneration. I'm I'm acknowledging and I'm I'm confessing that yes, this person is is alive because the resurrection is real. And this person is still an active member of the church, and and a, and a testimony of of the glory of God. And in in seeing him and venerating him, I I get to see another expression of the image of God. You know, the same image that is in me, that is in everyone. So for for for, for me as an Orthodox person, the the veneration of saints is a very connective experience, and it's a very 
powerful statement about the state of things, the state of people, the state of the resurrection. And if I'm paying attention and if I'm slowing down and really engaging in it, it's a way of seeing the, the fullness of the person. Um, icons are not photographs. They're not realistic paintings. They're not meant to convey here is what this person looked like as much as to convey here is the, f the full and true essence of this person in Christ and, and the, the image of God, the grace of God in this person. We, we talk about writing icons as they are theological statements. So this idea of venerating, venerating the icons or iconography is a stark contrast to something like pornography. Um, when we venerate an icon, we're considering each person, um, you know, in the icons proper, we're considering the saints, people made in the image of God, icons of Christ. Uh, and the proper treatment of an icon is to venerate or honor the work of the Lord in that person, give glory to Christ. Um, we would also say, though, that every person is made in the image of Christ, saint or not. And every person bears God's image, the Imago Dei, the image of God. Uh, thus, every, every, every single human being is worthy of veneration because they bear the image of Christ. And so that mentality is very different, again, than this mentality that is often at play with pornography, and we would say with fantasy and with sexualization as well. If I look at porn, then what I'm doing is I'm, um, I'm looking at an image, but it's, it's a partial image. Um, maybe I'm seeing like all of the person's skin, but I'm not seeing the person's soul. I'm not seeing their story. Maybe I'm seeing their face, maybe not. I, I don't necessarily know their name. I don't know their inner life. And, and I'm not trying to. You know, the reason I would look at porn is not to consider who is this person and their story and, uh, and the work of God in them. <laughs> Honestly, if I'm looking at porn, I, wanna, I want an orgasm. I want to get high. I want to have pleasure. I want to have escape. I want to serve myself when I sexualize another person. It's kind of that same thing. I'm, I'm defiling the person, or we could say even engaging in an act of idolatry by, by not acknowledging, even refusing to acknowledge the, the fullness of Christ that is in that person. Um, to look at porn is to try to open up the other person to myself, expose the other person to myself um, for my own pleasure without having to open myself back up without having to work or invest in the other person without having to care for the other person. Uh, and so it becomes this act of taking, um, which is different than if I consider an icon. Icons written in what's called reverse perspective, where they're, they're painted so that I am actually the one being seen. I am the one being seen from heaven by the saint. Them in their fullness seeing me in my reality. Um, but in that being seen, there's the opportunity for growth, for connection. Um, for me and my experience to, to be witnessed in the experience of fully knowing and being known by a person, there is an intimacy that is unmatched. And that is the intimacy, that is the attachment, the attunement that is our fundamental need as a human being to be connected, to be unified. And what we are, what we are doing is we are, we are seeking, we are longing for that, that unification with Christ. Ultimately, you know, Christ himself in, in the very end, Christ himself through the Eucharist, through the, through the sacred gifts, um, but also Christ himself as being present in, in other people as well. And so when we talk about 
when we use clinical terms like attachment and like attunement, um, yes, there absolutely is a physical neurological brain phenomena that happens. Our, our brain circuitry is affected by unadulterated, unfiltered, pure presence of another person. Uh, but spiritually speaking, it's the image of God in me encountering the image of God in the other person, uh, or there's the potential for that. And where there's a potential for encountering God in another person, there's a potential for really meeting that need for connection and, and really encountering healing in that way. So all of that is what is possible in a connection with a person, in a connection with a person that is venerative. When I, when I venerate another person, uh, venerating the image of God in another, another person, my deepest needs for connection can be met. When I pornify another person or sexualize another person, I am not seeking connection. I am, perhaps we could say I am responding to my deepest needs or I'm being driven by my deepest needs for connection in which is security, in which is safety, in which is worth. Um, but those desires have gotten hidden or obscured or misunderstood. And so now they are coming up as just here's, here's an attraction, here's an appetite, here's an urge, here's a craving. And, and I'm, I'm losing sight of the real thing that I want for the small thing that I want. In the moment I want pleasure, in the moment I want distraction, in the moment I want entertainment. Uh, and, and in the moment, I don't care about the other person. I don't care about the image of Christ. I, I just want what I want. And so, and so I will, and so I will sexualize. I will objectify. I will see a person on a screen in an image, see a person walking down the street through the mall across the beach. And I will consciously or unconsciously not see the Lord Jesus in them. I will not see the fullness of them. I will not consider their name, their needs, their hopes, their fears, or their interior life. I will just consider my favorite body parts and critique them and pleasure myself with them. And and when I'm when I'm doing that, it's it's disconnective. It's isolating and ultimately not not helpful, not healing. So we could say pornography is the inverse of iconography. It's seeing only the veil or only a fragment of the person and refusing to see their fullness. It's seeking a union without any sort of intimacy, uh, without any commitment, without any work. Um, it's opening up the other person to me so I can pleasure myself without opening myself back to them. And all of this is, again, in contrast to what iconography is. It's, it's opening yourself up to, to the saint, um, ultimately to the Lord. And, and, we, and we could say too, there, there is uh, in there this healthy way of opening yourself up to another. It doesn't have to be just a canonized saint who's, who's painted in, in an icon. When two people get together and can fully open themselves up, not necessarily taking off any clothes, but can open up their souls, talk about their emotions, their interior lives, then there is a way to open oneself up to the other, commit yourself to the other. The other is doing the same for you. Uh, in that mutual exposure of internal states with a sense of we're committed to relationship with each other, there's a lot of safety and there's a lot of connection. And there is a lot of healing that's possible in there as well. As we've been saying, when I, when I sexualize another person, or we could say when I'm fantasizing about them or objectifying them, even if it's my married partner, uh, or even if I employ an image of 
you know, if I employ an image of a person, even my married partner, I'm still elevating a veil, a fragment of the person, not the whole person, uh, beyond its right stature, glorifying the created thing, or we could say a twisted version of it, and refusing to see the fullness of the created thing, much less the creator behind it. One of the uh, statements that you know, Andrew Williams uh, he makes quoting him best I can remember, is, you know, he'll say, to know that there is so much more beyond my field of vision. That's part of what veneration is about. To venerate the image of God in another person is to be able to dimly perceive the fullness of what that person was created to be. Um, so when we get into this idea of how do I stop sexualizing or how do I, uh, how do I stop objectifying people, it's very much, very much more than stopping a particular kind of thought and embracing a new kind of thought. Uh, I'm never going to be able to just not think of a particular thing, but I can lean into and begin to pursue thinking in a different way. Uh, I can actively seek to consider the whole person, the wholeness of the other person, the fullness of the other person, and use a variety of means to, to remind myself that. Maybe I need to you know, write it on a sticky note by the mirror. Maybe I need to tattoo it somewhere. And maybe don't do that. Uh, but, you know, however it is that I remind myself of what's important to remember, I can remind myself, hey, that person is the, an icon of Christ. There's a fullness to that person. There's more to that person that you don't see. That person has a story. And by keeping that thought present and pursuing that thought, there then becomes the potential that I can pursue the kind of connection that I really truly need, connecting with the glory of Christ who is embedded in that person. When when doing this, it's, it's important to not be self-punishing about this or legalistic about it, but to remember that what we're doing is we're, we're healing ourselves, we're, we're transforming our desires. Our, our desires are, are not bad. Our desires are, are good in, the, in that they're meant to lead us to the Lord. We human beings, we are created with the capacity for infinite desire. Of course, that means we will only ultimately be satisfied by the infinite, by God himself. And so then we could say that uh, all of our desires are meant to point us to desiring Christ in some way. Things get mixed up along the way, of course. So then uh, the, the healing process is not to kill our desires or to stifle them or ignore them or treat them as bad, uh, nor is it to fully indulge them or go with them or do whatever we want with them or become mastered by them. The goal is for our desires to become transformed, to be honed, to be focused, to be centered on the, the best fulfillment of those desires, which is first and foremost the Lord Jesus, and that can, in a, in a partial measure, be experienced through the desiring for a true and holy connection with, with other people, other saints, other, other images of God. So, so I'm, I'm in this, I'm really compelled by this idea of seeing the fullness of the person and transforming our desires and, and and working toward that. Toward that end, there's a couple, I think, really wonderful quotes from C.S. Lewis that I want to, to bring out. One is, you know, he's, he, he's quoted as saying, our problem with desire is that we want too little. Uh, and it's interesting he doesn't say we want too much. And, and I think there, there's a lot of truth there. The, um, like the problem with the, with the sexual desire is not that I want too much from a person. It's that I want too little. I'm, I'm wanting just the sexual pleasure, just their body. I'm not wanting or craving the fullness of them or the fullness of the Lord in them. 
and in that, I'm missing the mark. The other really wonderful idea that, that C.S. Lewis says, and this is from uh, his book, uh, The Weight of Glory, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And I call attention to that quote, you know, centering on this idea that there are no ordinary people. There are no mere mortals. We are, we are godlike in a sense, in that we carry the image of God. And that is our potential, is to become, become like God. And when I look at porn, when I sexualize, when I objectify, when I you know, use a person for just my own pleasure, I completely miss that. I completely miss the transformative glory that is in each of us. And so for that reason, I would say, yes, this task of changing my mind, changing my way of thinking, changing my way of life becomes really essential if I really want to encounter Christ and if I really want to grow and transform. So then thinking through the practical end of this, how do we do this? You know, I'm, I was talking with language like changing my mind, changing my mindset, but that really comes through this whole way of life, a way of life that is some behavior, it's some thought, it's some belief, it's some feeling, it's some relationship. If I've been in a mode of I sexualize, I use, I dissociate, I get drunk, I get high, I, I employ a variety of means to disconnect myself from myself, disconnect myself from others, pursue small pleasures and temporary relief, then if that's if that's the organizing principle of my life, it looks a particular way. And you know, the uh, you know the DSM diagnose, diagnostic criteria for substance use disorder it offers a description of what that kind of life can look like. That's not the only description. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of dysfunctional ways that we uh, stay disconnected from ourselves. But that's one that's one way. So then pursuing sobriety, pursuing recovery. Again, it's not it goes way beyond just not looking at porn or not hooking up or not getting drunk. It's very much adopting this whole mindset, this whole way of life that starts with I go inward to my own self. I slow down, I get quiet, I look for God in the inner stillness inside. It also includes I slow down with people and I try to be curious about them, not judge them, not try to fix them, not try to change them, but really try to just encounter them, encounter the fullness of who is this person? Who could this person be? Who will this person be? How does God see this person? And to get to those spots, if I need to change what I do for work, maybe I need a different work environment. If I change what media do I consume, maybe there's just certain stories I should not be partaking in. There's some things I just shouldn't be watching. Maybe there's some relationships I should not be with and some relationships I should be with. Maybe there's some activities I do that promote a presence for myself. You know, for some people that might be, I do more physical movement and I exercise more because that puts me in myself. 
On the other hand, there might be some people who, you know, to be fully present means to slow down and move less and do less exercise. Um, because they they do they do their exercises as a way of ignoring other feelings. You know, there's a lot of room for self-exploration and discovering what in particular do you need for your own growth. But it can be a very all-inclusive, you know, you look at who are the people you hang out with, what do you do for work, what do you do for fun, what do you do for movement, how are you sleeping, how are you eating, how are you drinking, what stories and media are you consuming, what comments do you make, what jokes do you laugh at, um, what do you post or like on social media, um, how often do you go to church, how often do you pray, how often do you partake of the sacraments. Looking at all of these things, the, these, these are all ingredients in, in a way of life that could either be this chaotic, disconnective, I don't care about the image of God, I just want to serve my own pleasures, or those could all be ingredients used another way to say, yes, I'm going to be present, I'm going to be present with myself, I'm going to be present with others. I'm going to be the fullness of who I can be, see the fullness of who others can be. And, and when I get tired and distracted and, and falter from this, which of course we will and we all do, I will repent and start over because this process is not about meeting a standard or hitting a goal or achieving a milestone. It's about being on the path, being on the right trajectory and coming back to that trajectory as often as we need to until finally we reach our end and an turn to glory. So then, that is at least this one person's view on why we should think about sexualization and objectification as important topics and why we should exert some effort to transform our desires and our way of thinking. And in that, we should approach people with an attitude of veneration and respect the glory that is in each person. And when we catch ourselves titillating ourselves through, hey, this person has a great body part, uh, to remember that's an icon of Christ. And there's a whole lot more to that person. And maybe what I really want is to connect with that so much more. So thanks for listening. Uh, if this sort of conversation or way of thought is helpful or encouraging to you, or at least intriguing, uh, let me know. Uh, send me an email. Uh, leave me a comment or reach out to me in that sort of way. Also consider visiting the Patreon for this podcast, patreon.com slash outer circle and leaving a, leaving a donation. Um, that's helpful in, for me in carving out more time and resources to produce more conversations like this. Also sharing the podcast around, writing reviews, that's always helpful as well. But either way, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here and hope you are able to find some presence for yourself throughout your day. Thank you for joining me in today's conversation. My name is Reese Basimio. I'm an Eastern Orthodox Christian and a clinical counselor with specialties in substance use, compulsive behaviors, sexuality, and trauma. You can reach me through newpatterncounseling.com. This episode was mastered by Breakfast Puppies. Theme music is by Titus Lockard. Please like, rate, review, and share this podcast from all your favorite platforms. Please also consider showing your support of this work through contributing dollars through the podcast page at patreon.com slash outer circle. Thank you and see you next time.